You know, as, as we begin this message, uh, it is kind of the beginning of summertime. Anyone excited about that? Summertime? Come on. I, I love summer. Um, I want you to take a minute and just think of uh, some summer memories growing up from your past. Some good memories maybe kind of flowing in your brains right now. Summer memories from the past maybe growing up. I know for me, uh, that, that might have looked like we took some road trips around the country, right? I do have a distinct memory of fighting with my sister along the way a few times as well. But we had a great time as a family going on some road trips. I remember uh, for me that also conjures up baseball practice, even back in the t-ball days. Remember anyone do that? Come on, doing that with me? So in the t-ball days, baseball practice, and actually even some of the games looked like building sandcastles along the baseline. And not just sandcastles, but building ball catchers. So you dig a hole and you put the little, a little mound behind it of sand, you don't even have to, to stop the ball. The ball catcher in the ground does, and man, you just get to pick it up and throw them out, right? Or tag them or whatever. Kind of entrepreneurial there in the young years. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but I, I have those kind of fun memories, thinking back, just being out in the baseball field or doing whatever. And even, you know, as I got older, going to high school, just whatever we did, just the dumb things we did, sitting in a parking lot, doing nothing because we didn't have school, but just good, good memories. And so, I don't know what kind of memories you have growing up when you think of the summer, but I bet there's some joy that rises up in your heart. And I bet one of the reasons, one of the maybe many reasons that you remember those is because that some of them were marked with joy. God actually used joy to kind of leave a lasting impact of that positive memory on your soul. We remember those things, those moments of joy in our life when we look back. And actually, I believe we as human beings are hardwired by God to have joy and to experience joy. Joy brings life to our hearts. It blows wind in our sails. It lifts our heads when we're down. It strengthens us to take on the day. It helps us actually to resist temptation. It brings sweetness into our lives when things are difficult and can actually bring healing to our hearts. You know, I actually believe it is God's will for us to have and experience joy. You might be like, okay, you know, what are you, what are you going for here? Well, it's actually throughout Scripture. It's actually joy is throughout Scripture. Nehemiah 8.10, maybe a famous verse here from Nehemiah, encourages the people of God that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Throughout the Psalms, we see the joy of the Lord. We see pictures in the Psalms of the whole earth rejoicing, giving praise to a good God. We see in the Psalms, in Psalm 16, that there is joy in the presence of God. As we look to the New Testament, just a couple places, we see in Galatians that joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is actually the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fragrance of what God brings when he shows up. He brings love, joy, peace, patience. He brings joy when he shows up. And in Philippians, right here, you're going to see it numerous different times, but Philippians chapter 4 actually commands us to rejoice. We actually have a command of God, not only here, but in different places, including the Psalms. We actually have a command from God to rejoice. And as I say that, I want to acknowledge that life is hard. <laughs> life is full of things that are real, right? We don't minimalize them. Real things that steal our joy. Maybe that uh, 
is, is a difficult, strained relationship you're in. Maybe that's something of fear that's kind of choking you. Maybe that's just life's weekly grind of responsibilities. Maybe that is feeling inadequate somewhere or another. Maybe that's finances. Maybe it's sickness in your body. Maybe it's actually the loss of a loved one in your life. Maybe that's anxiety that you have for whatever reason. Maybe it's something going on in your life that you can't quite figure out. These are real things. And my goal today and our goal in this series is not to minimize those things, but instead answer and seek out the question, how do we find real joy in the midst of life's real difficulties? How do we find real joy in the life, in the midst of life's real trials. And as we go into this series in Philippians, I want to invite you to do just that, to take a journey of finding more joy. This is a, a book, and one of the themes in Philippians is joy. And I want to invite us to find real joy in our real circumstances. Evangelist Billy Sunday said years ago, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I love that quote. And so I'm gonna pray as we start today's message, as we embark on this series. Again, I wanna invite you to be studying it with us, um, but I'm gonna pray that God fills us up with more joy of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. And God, I pray even all around this room, as we have different things going on in our lives, would you lift the yoke of heaviness off our shoulders? Would we lift our eyes to you? Would we encounter your love? Would we encounter a joy that doesn't come from something we muster up, a joy that doesn't come from, an, uh, uh, from a circumstance, but a joy that comes from the throne room of God? So, Father, I pray across this room, you know, would you open up our hearts to receive from you? Would you open up our hearts to the goodness of God? Lord, move me out of the way and let your joy flood our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as, as we start this series, I actually want to just give a quick overview of the book itself. Uh, the book of Philippians is something called an epistle. An epistle. Now, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with that, a, a number of the books in the New Testament are epistles, such as Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, etc. The word epistle just means letter. And so epistles are letters written by someone to either a church or a group of Christians or someone else. Basically, this is a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, that's where the book Philippians got its name. So if you're not certain why some of these books have kind of funny names, Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, Romans, these are cities that had a church in them, right? So Paul wrote Romans to the church in Rome. Paul is writing Philippians to the church in Philippi, okay? And so um, this book is written by Paul. It's broken down into four chapters. It's really kind of broken down in like eight or so vignettes that Paul is writing, pointing to Jesus and calling us to find joy in Jesus and to take the example of Jesus in different ways, giving his life and other people's lives an example of following Jesus. And he's inviting us to find joy in doing the same throughout Philippians. Now, just a little bit about Philippi, the city that these Christians were living in, right? I want to kind of step back in. And what is, what is the context that Paul is feeling the need to write these people about? Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia. And uh, so Macedonia was actually, uh, you know, it wasn't near Rome. It was in Macedonia. And uh, there's Philippi. And it's a patriotic. They were really excited 
about being Roman. And, uh, and the, the Philippi was actually a leading city. We see this in Acts 16. It was a leading city in Macedonia. In fact, there was a main highway that kind of went through Philippi. And so it was a place of trade. It was a place, you know, where people would come through. And it helped its economy. And there were not many Jewish believers. And I remember, you know, Christianity wasn't around the world. There weren't churches around the world yet. And so there weren't many kind of God-fearing Jews there uh, at the time. In fact, we believe there was not even a synagogue there. And this is a place in Philippi where Paul planted his first church in Europe, okay? Paul planted his first church in Europe. So kind of a a unique and and, uh, important Part of the expansion of the early church was this church right here in Philippi. And you see this story in Acts chapter 16. God calls them to Macedonia. They go to Philippi. They meet Lydia, right? John actually was joking about that yesterday, a seller of purple, or last week, a seller of purple goods, right? So, so Paul meets Lydia. They start a church there. And in fact, that Paul and Silas, as well as the church, experienced some persecution. And you see this story in Acts 16. It's kind of a powerful story. So Paul and Silas are telling about people about Jesus. They get arrested, they get flogged, and then they get imprisoned. And then they're in prison in Acts 16. You see the story, and they're singing hymns and praying to God in prison. And what happens? God shows up and brings an earthquake. <laughs> the prison doors open up, their shackles release, they're free, and this jailer comes and basically kind of like, what must I do to be saved? The jailer, his family is saved The kingdom of God advances in the midst of persecution. That's somewhat the story of the Philippian church. They experienced some persecution. There was some persecution going on, yet God was on the move, and the church was alive. Now, why did Paul write this letter? There's a number of reasons. One, he wanted to address a couple things. There uh, was, was some people trying to discredit Paul. There was some division in the church. He wanted to encourage them to keep following Jesus in the midst of life's trials, Uh, He wanted to spur them on to joy. In fact, we see joy or rejoice 14 times here in the the ESV. We see actually about, I think, uh, five nouns of joy, about 11, if you go in the Greek, verbs to rejoice. Um, And and so Paul is encouraging them on to to joy. And Paul is actually running from the overflow of his own joy for the Philippian church here, uh, not only because he just loves them, but specifically, he'd received a gift from the Philippian church from a guy named Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is a church member, and remember, there wasn't like Venmo. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to Venmo Paul a little gift. You know, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to bank wire this thing over to Paul. They actually had to have a guy bring the church's gift all the way over to Philippi to bring him this gift. And so Paul is overjoyed to see someone that he loves and to receive this gift, which wasn't the first one, from their church. And so when Paul is sitting down to write this, and he's thinking of Epaphroditus, he's just happy, right? He wasn't on the mountaintop with God. on this He wasn't sitting on the beach on the Mediterranean, just like, this is amazing. He was in prison. He was in prison. In fact, it was kind of a little bit more like a house arrest where he could kind of receive gifts or receive visitors. But he's there in prison. I want you to picture Paul sitting there basically in prison, alive in his heart, worshiping God, thankful for the people of God, thankful for the work of God around the world, writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And we're going to learn about joy, take a little deeper look at joy as we look at our passage here. So I want to start in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to go through the first 11 verses today. Philippians 1, if you need a Bible, you can put your hand up. We'll have some some Bible carriers walking down the, the aisle. 
And if you don't have one, please keep it. We'd love to give it to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is my witness, sorry, Paul. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. A powerful passage and a powerful book. You're going to hear a lot of scriptures that you might even be familiar with if you've been around the church world for a while and following Jesus for a while. But what is the first place here we see joy? Is verse 4. I want to look back at verses 3 through 5 to kind of see this again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Making my prayer with joy. Now, joy is, is kind of a, is, is really defined as a feeling of happiness or delight. Feeling of happiness or delight. Basically, expressing the delight that we're experiencing in our heart is to rejoice. But to take a little bit deeper look at this actual word here using the Greek of joy gives us a little bit deeper understanding of what joy means. Now, this word used here for joy is kara. Now, that has the same root word as as charis, which is grace. So joy is connected to grace. And what Paul is saying here is, I've got joy, says because I have grace. And actually, when he says, I thank God for you, uh, that word also has charis in it. It's good graces. He's he's thanking God for the grace given to him through the Philippians, uh, the Philippian church. Guys, the joy of the Lord, the joy that we have from God is like no other joy in this world. It It is rooted not in our circumstances. It is rooted in a supernatural grace that we have received from God. Now, what is grace? It is, it is the unconditional acceptance of God. It is getting better than we deserve. It's getting something we don't deserve. I heard someone else define grace also as the power of God to do the will of God. Guys, we've gotten way, way better in Jesus than we deserve. That is something worth rejoicing about. That is something worth rejoicing about. And Paul knew this very well firsthand. If you know much about Paul, this guy didn't just hate Christians. He persecuted Christians. He killed Christians, right? And what did God do? He came. He showed up. And he didn't kill Paul. He forgave him. 
and he loved him, and he brought him into the family, and he called him his own. So when Paul is writing about grace and joy in the heart, he's not saying, oh, I'm in prison. This sucks. He was saying, no, I don't even deserve to be alive. I'm here. I'm doing the work of God. What a joy. What an honor. Paul knew very well the grace of God. He didn't deserve the goodness he's experienced. So he's writing from the overflow of the reality of joy living in his heart. Right? We don't deserve the goodness of God. You know, I'm thinking uh, joy comes when we realize we, we, don't, we get something we don't deserve. That's what the essence of grace is. Now, maybe some of us experienced this in some way or another around the time of Christmas. Maybe you had a long list of things you were hoping for, and maybe a lot of good things, but you didn't get those things, and you were not thankful, but you were instead disappointed. I remember back when I was little and a little more greedy at the time, I had a long list of video games that I was ready to get. You know, back in the Nintendo Enter Entertainment System days, you know, 12 or 8 bits or whatever that was, of graphics. I was ready to take that eight bits of graphics and load it up, you know, just play that Mario or whatever. And, and that Christmas, my parents were generous. They got me maybe a couple of the games on there, and the rest, apparently, I needed some clothes in that time of my life. And I remember my little self there. I was almost in tears. I threw a little tantrum, and I only got two video games, and the rest were clothes, and my poor mom would put all this work into it. And, and I wasn't joyful. I wasn't thankful because... I thought I deserved a whole lot of stuff. Now contrast that with a time you weren't expecting a gift. And someone showed up and they said, man, I was thinking about you and I got this. It might not even have been that great, but the fact that it just came out of nowhere, you didn't deserve it, you didn't do anything for it, you weren't even expecting it, you were thankful in your heart. Yo, we don't deserve the new life given to us at the cross of Jesus. We didn't deserve God to come in the form of man, fully God and fully man, and give his life for us while we were yet sinners, Romans says. We didn't deserve to, to have the resurrection power of Jesus in us. We don't deserve to have God living in us, imperfect beings. We don't deserve to have the Spirit. We don't deserve to be partakers of the kingdom and co-heirs with Christ. We don't deserve to get to rule and reign with him one day forever and ever and ever. Y'all, that is good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. God didn't save you or love you because you did something for him. He just loves you. And he loved you so much he gave his life for you. That is good news. That is good news, that ought to bring joy to our hearts. That's why we clap. That's why we sing. That's why sometimes we dance, right? Not because it's what we're supposed to do, because we're focused on the goodness of God. We don't deserve it. That is worth celebrating. Some of us, though, I think we've forgotten where we came from. Or maybe some of us grew up around the church, and you've been saved since the womb practically, and you don't realize where you could have been apart from the saving grace of God. It is the grace of God that you're here today and not dead. Some of us, we don't actually believe that amazing gift given to us in Jesus Christ. I was praying for this, I really believe. Some of us don't believe how incredible. We're like, okay, that's good news, but it's here and not here. God wants to sink the reality that he gave his life for you. You're a new creation he wants to sink that goodness into your heart today. 
He wants to receive the full gift, the full gift in reality that he is good in your heart. And you, some of you are here and you don't know Jesus. I want to say there is good news for you today no matter what you have done. Joy does not come from your circumstance. Joy comes from meeting Jesus. Whatever you've done can be forgiven today, can be washed away, and you can have a new life here today. If that's you, I want to say today is a day to find a joy that supersedes your circumstance, to find a joy that is rooted in forgiveness and starting a new life, not by what you've done, but by the forgiveness of Jesus. If that's you, we want to invite you to meet Jesus today and have a new start. God's grace is worth celebrating. If we don't get grace, we won't understand joy. They're connected. If we don't get the grace of God in our life, we won't fully grasp joy. Now, guys, that doesn't mean life is easy. It doesn't mean life is a cakewalk. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says if you follow God, all your problems will be removed, right? So we have this grace. We have this joy if you're believers, but we go into a difficult life. Now, the second thing I want us to note is that Paul is in prison and he's happy. Paul is in prison, and he's happy. You see, Paul's joy is not contingent upon his circumstances. Now, Paul could have been sitting there thinking, man, I feel like God forgot about me. Man, I feel like God doesn't love me. Man, they don't, they're not feeding me the food I want. Man, I could be out there doing all these things for God, but God can't use me in here. No, he just wrote a book of the Bible while he's in there, right? He was not focused on himself. He was focused on loving the church. And even more, he was focused on the presence of God with him there. Right? He was focusing his energy not on himself, not on all the things he felt he deserved. He was focusing on the presence of God and loving others. We see that in Philippians. Throughout the book, you'll see he said, Man, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His life was the Lord's. He knew as long as he's alive, he gets Jesus, and he was happy with that, no matter what his circumstances. Chapter 2, you see him just meditating on Jesus and the fact that God came for us. He humbled himself and became man. He's just, he's just expounding on the goodness of God in Christ. He's meditating on God's goodness. In, in chapter 3, which Jordan alluded to earlier, he says, I, I count everything I have done and everything I have a loss compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, our Lord. Paul was a man just soaked in the presence of God in the midst of his trials. We can have joy in our prisons. We can have joy in the prisons of our life. I heard someone say a while back, joy is not the absence of troubles, but the presence of God. Joy is not the absence of troubles in our life. It's not the absence of temptation. It's not the absence of difficulty. It's not the absence of loss. It's not the absence of sickness. It's not the absence of pain, but rather the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, talking about God, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Some of us are waiting for our circumstances to change. Some of us are riding the roller coaster of life. Man, things are good and we're good. Things are tough and we're just down the dumps, man. But God is inviting us to find him in the middle of it, again, I'm not minimalizing life's difficulties, but what I am is maximizing God's presence 
in the midst of it. You see, joy is not something that happens to us, nor is minimizing life's challenges. It is finding a real God in the midst of it. Joy doesn't just happen through life's circumstances. We find it as we find God in our life. Right? John 16, Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's good news. Anyone thankful for that? Come on. God wants us to find him in the midst of it, and he sets our heart, the prison of our hearts, free from the inside out. I was thinking about this as someone who's experienced this and chosen this in our midst is Kathleen Fucci. Uh, come on, if you know Kathleen, I know you love her because she's awesome, amazing family. <clears throat> but Kathleen, years ago, was diagnosed with Lyme's disease just all of a sudden, as well as some other things that could like, literally each one could like almost take someone out. And according to her, as she is, I've talked to her about her story, she said, man, there's been so many points on the way in season where almost couldn't function, couldn't get out of bed in the morning, pain, vertigo, you know, inability to, to do basic functions of life. Now, if you ever had vertigo, it is like completely debilitating. And so she's saying for a long time, she was focusing on just believing God for healing. And we're absolutely, we believe God heals. And Craig shared a story, there's numerous stories just in India alone of people getting healed uh, physically, supernaturally by God. But she said as she stopped focusing on her prison doors opening and started focusing on God, hope and joy flooded her heart. Hope and joy began to flood her heart, and it actually not only changed her heart, it actually began a process of her getting physically healed. I remember when you started coming to church, and you had the lawn chair you had to sit in because you couldn't, you couldn't do the normal chairs. And man, God has been healing you progressively. And she said, man, so much of it actually started when I shifted my focus off getting out of my prison and on to the one who's with me, right? Now, where are you focused? Are you focused on your prison or his presence? Are you focused on your prison or his presence with you? Joy comes in our trials when we lift our eyes off our prison and onto his presence. All right. How we doing? All right. I got good news. It doesn't end there. <laughs> right? Paul was rejoicing on more joy that was to come as well. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for, let me start over. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Y'all, I can't read today. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it through to the day of completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We see Paul there finding joy in the past. He's finding joy in their partnership with the past. He's finding joy at the present gift given to him and what God is doing in the Philippian church. And he's finding joy in the future. He had joy and an expectation that there was more goodness to come, that God would complete what he began in us and in in, in, at that time, the Philippian church. Paul would look to the future and he was filled with joy. You know, that word hope literally means the expectation of goodness. The expectation of goodness. Paul looked to the future, and because of the work of Jesus, he had hope. 
What do you feel when you look to the future? Do you feel hope? Do you feel the expectation that it may even be tough, but it's going to be good because God is going to be at work? What do you feel when you look to the future? Paul had great hope that not only when he would meet Jesus face to face and when the Philippians would meet Jesus face to face at the day of the Lord, it would be completed. But he also had a hope, I believe, that, that life is continual pathway that direction. That God is doing a work in us and he's not done with us yet. You might say, man, joy has not been my experience. You might say, man, life has been hard. I want to say he's not done with you yet. He has not forgotten about you. He's not overlooked you. You might feel stuck somewhere even after our Getting Unstuck series, right? You might feel stuck somewhere. I want to say, God is not done with you yet. Turn to someone next to you and say, God is not done with you yet. That is good news if you're in process like I am. That is good news. I can look to the future and not just see my sin or my frustration or my unbelief. I can look to the future and see a God who is bigger than it, who has overcome the world. Amen? Amen. Lost my spot. All right. He's not done with us. And, and, and I want to say... Um, yeah, there, there's more joy ahead. And, and that's what Paul is saying. He's, he's, inviting, he's inviting the church to believe for more joy. Let's look at uh, verses um, 9 through 11 here. It says this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Paul is looking to the, he's praying for the Philippians and he's looking at the future saying, I'm praying that you get more. I'm praying that you get more love. I'm praying that you get more of God, that you experience more joy and love of God. Paul is contending the Philippians. He didn't just want them saved categorically. He wanted them to experience and be filled with the love of God that overflows in the fruit of righteousness and brings glory to God. He wanted more. He was contending for more there in the prison for the Philippians. Y'all, I think sometimes we get satisfied too easily. I think sometimes we get satisfied too easily in our experience with God. Maybe, uh, <clears throat> maybe uh, you know, joy is something that we kind of know in our head, and we're satisfied. We're sitting here saying, rejoice. I rejoice, God. I'm so happy. God, I'm joyful. Hey, brother, joyful today. Amen. Praise God. But it's not an experience in our heart, right? Or maybe, uh, and again, church is a great place to be if you're down as well because we all have those days, all right? So plenty of grace for that. Or maybe sometimes when you think of joy, you look back to the good old days. Man, I had that experience with God when I was young. I had that retreat, that mountaintop experience, right? And it's kind of been just downhill from there, whatever. Or, man, when I got saved, that was awesome. Back in the good old days when I was really on fire for God, and then we've kind of settled somewhere at some level with some of God, right? It's kind of like going to your favorite restaurant, like your favorite. You know, that comes to your mind probably right now. 
and being like, right, you might even be distracted by that right now, <clears throat> Lord. Uh, going to your favorite restaurant and be like, like, what do you want? I'll have soup crackers. <clears throat> no, what do you want after that? I'll have more soup crackers, please. I love this restaurant. You serve the same Nabisco or whatever fruit crackers as everyone else. I love it, <clears throat> right? No, I mean, if you're anyone like me, I love food, right? You're like, okay, what is the number one most popular item on your menu? And give me two of them, right? I'll take one home for later, right? Right? I love food. I want, I want to experience the best. That they, I'm not going to be satisfied with salty, dry crackers, right? I'm not going to be like, hey, I'll just have an appetizer and go home a little hungry. No, when I taste something good, I want some more. When I taste something good, I'm saying, hey, give me some more of that, you know? And uh, I believe God is inviting us to be that way with him. You guys, the veil has been torn. Whatever would separate us and God has been taken away, and we can run freely and boldly, Scripture says, to the throne of grace in our time of need, and, and we behold him face to face. There is more of God, and you might have been sitting here, and you might have great history with God. You might have had encounters with God that we had all, that's awesome. You might know the word of God in incredible ways. What I want to say, he's God, and there is more. There is an invitation for more joy, right? Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe it is a normal Christian experience to hunger for more of God. I believe it is normal as a Christian to, to desire more of God. In a sense, we're absolutely thankful and satisfied with what we had, and there's always an invitation of God, I want more of you, right? There is more of the Lord, and that's what Paul is praying for them. He's like, hey, you're amazing. You actually give me gifts. You love Jesus, but I want more. <laughs> I want to give you more, and I just picture his prayers like these buckets. They're just like, that you'd have more, you know, and I see him soaked, you know, spiritually soaked. And he's like, give him more, God. Give him more love. Give him more love. Just soak him with more. And I just see his prayer just dousing the, the Philippians with more. Come on, anyone happy just in that picture? You're like, come on, God, I want that. Give me that. I'm excited up here. Right? Guys, he really, 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 really loves you. God really, 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 really loves you. And he doesn't just want you to be satisfied with just knowing that a little bit. I believe he wants you to know more. He doesn't just love the person next to you. He loves you personally, deeply. He chose you in him. He chose you before the foundation. He said, I'm not going to be okay unless, unless Chris is a part of knowing me part of my body. I'm not going to be okay unless I get a little Zach or Priscilla. I'm not going to be okay unless I get some Samuel and Zach. God chose you. He loves you a lot. As I was praying for this message, I feel like God sent me to tell you that today. He loves you a lot. He loves you, and he wants to pour out more upon you. Right? Now, so I know a lot of us kind of know that maybe in our head, and, and, and I want to look at this here. Paul prayed that it is his prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, right? So Paul is praying for more knowledge and depth of insight. 
So I want to look at that a little more closely because I think it really gives us a little picture to help us know how God does that in our midst. That word knowledge, epignosis, is actually means knowledge through personal experience. Knowledge through personal experience. So Paul isn't just praying that they have information. Paul is saying that that information would become revelation and it would become an encounter with God, that they would know God, not from afar. They would know him deeply and personally through experience. Now that word discernment literally kind of is like perception by the senses, hearing, seeing, feeling, kind of like an understanding. So Paul is saying, I pray that you would know that through an experience, you would have understanding. That you would know what you've heard about already even more deeply through more experience. Oftentimes, it takes experience to have more understanding. That's kind of how life works in you. You went to college. I went to college, and I was like, I know everything about business. And I was like, I really don't know as much as I thought I did about business because you got to experience. you got to get out there and experience. In the same way with God, we, we, we know about him, and God is inviting us through the word of God and through prayer and by the Spirit to experience more of him. Oftentimes, my breakthroughs in my life have been when I've been desperate and saying, God, I know I have you, and I thank you for that. I'm at rest in that. I am with God. I'm not falling out of Christ. But I want more of you. I remember uh, my wife and I, Crystal, we were dating, and, and uh, she broke up with me for a year and a few months. And I remember I was at the point where I'm like, I think I'm going to marry her. Like the week before, I told one of my good friends, actually the guy who's a pastor in our church in Tijuana, I was like, Jonathan, I think she's the one. I think I'm going to marry her. And the next week, she's like, hey, I'm not feeling this, you know? And I'm like, oh. <clears throat> it was hard, you know? If you, those of you guys have been married for a while, you maybe kind of forgot those. It was hard, you know? So I'm kind of there, and, and I'm hurting. And I just, I remember just kind of being desperate for God. I said, God, I know you're good. I, there's a deep peace that I still felt through that, you know? I'm not, my life is not going to end. But God was at work in my heart, and I just remember there, just worshiping God, kind of like laying, just like soaking in the love of God. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, he just filled me supernaturally with joy. And I just filled me with joy in, in a way that I, I, it didn't make sense. I didn't know why I was happy. It was just, I guess, the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> just dousing me with more joy. During that time, it was just prayer, someone texts me. It was like, God is healing and restoring your heart. And it, I think Malachi 4.2, the, you know, um, the the sun will rise with healing in his wings, and that God is bringing joy into my life. I get up, and just after that, I'm like, man, that was God. That was God. And literally, I got up feeling just, just whole in my heart from that experience. The joy of the Lord can bring healing. Now, it may not always be that kind of dramatic of encounter with God or experience, but ultimately, there is a deep joy, whether it's a big experience or not, that begins, whether it's instantaneously or over time, to heal and restore our hearts. But I find those times with God, whether they're big or not, from hungering for more of God. So, by the way, Paul is not just talking about stirring up an emotion here. But I believe the essence of what he's saying here is that, that joy comes, you know, from walking with Jesus. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that comes through Jesus Christ. Joy comes 
from Jesus. He is the ultimate source of joy. It begins as we get a revelation of the good news of Jesus, and it continues by walking in his word and by life in the spirit as a believer. We get joy as we walk with Jesus in a day-to-day life. In fact, Jesus, like I said, is joy. In fact, Hebrews 1.9, which is referring to Psalm 45, says, Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy or gladness above all his companions. <laughs> Jesus was the most joyful of all his companions. That's who our God is. He's anointed with joy. That's the one we talk to. That's the one we worship. Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 25. You might be familiar with this time with the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us walk by the Spirit. Now, essentially, he's saying that those fruits that we all desire in our lives, they come not by effort or striving. They come by walking with God and being people of the Spirit. Okay? But you, you, it's often what we do with this verse, like, that's good, and we're like, pick the one we're weak at. We're like, uh, okay, I'm patient in this, but I'm not very joyful. Joy, joy. Come on, get some joy today. You know, we're walking around trying to stir up some emotion and we're trying to become more joyful. That's not what he's talking about. It comes from him. I'm reminded of John 15, 5, another verse that you're probably familiar with and that we talk about consistently. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so I think some of us, were striving here to find joy. We're, we're reaching for an emotion. We're reaching for an experience. We're trying to cook it up or stir it up in ourselves, and that's not how it works. I mean, think of a fruit tree, right? You ever walk by a fruit tree, an orange tree, and it's like, oranges, 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 oranges. It's trying as hard as it can. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you walk by a fruit tree making oranges, and oranges are just happening because it's rooted in the ground. You are the vine, right? He is the vine. You are the branches. As we abide in him, as we walk with him, this joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you, not the fruit of you, right? Left to myself, I'm not always a joyful person. Maybe if I'm having a really good day, but when Jesus is in me and I'm letting his life live through me, that joy carries me beyond my circumstances. It comes by walking with him. I want to invite us today to quit striving and start thriving. Quit striving for an emotion. Quit striving for some feeling or to cook up something. Start thriving by resting and receiving in the Lord and the work of the cross. Start thriving by being filled afresh with his word and with his spirit. All right, lastly, as I end, um, you know, when we walk with Jesus, when we're satisfied with him, we radiate him. We radiate his joy. And what does Paul say would happen in verse 11? He says, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. The fruit of righteousness to the glory and the praise of God. Our joy in him brings glory to God. Our joy in him brings glory to God. 
Right, when we are enjoying God and being enjoyed by him, when we have our hearts just being filled with him, we reflect his love, and we reflect his love for creation to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family, our neighbors. I love as John Piper says this, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied. And so often we're like, oh, like I just need to serve others. I need to serve others. I need to serve others. And like, I don't need to stop and receive from the Lord. I, don't, you know, I know God loves me. I know this. I know that. No, God's saying, I want you to just bask and get as much love packed in there as possible so that you will radiate the love of God. And God is most happy when you're most satisfied in him. Well, my kids, when I show up and my kids are like, daddy, and they're just like satisfied in who I am as I walk through the door. I'm like, this is amazing. God doesn't just want your service. He wants you to enjoy him and be enjoyed by him. He wants you to be deeply satisfied in the depths of your heart in his love and the work of the cross. And that is not selfish. That brings him glory. Love, uh, I want to end with a story. A guy named George Mueller. Um, some of you guys are familiar. He's a, a missionary kind of evangelist. And uh, he's born in Germany but lived in England. And... Um, he, he walked with the joy of the Lord. And he, uh, he basically started orphanages. He's also an evangelist. And he cared in his life for over 10,000 orphans. Now, this is in the 1800s. So just, you know, didn't have all the technology and all that. Cared for over 10,000 orphan, 10, orphans in his life. And what he did, he would trust God for the provision. He didn't have much. He would literally trust God for the provision. So there are many days where he would literally say, God, there's no food for the orphans today. And all of a sudden, someone will walk down the street and say, I just feel like I needed to give this to you today, and there would be enough bread. He experienced times where the food was multiplied. Just God miraculously providing as he depended on him. Now, there's plenty of reason for George Mueller to be anxious. But not only that, he raised millions of dollars basically through prayer and trusting God and had thousands and thousands of recorded answered prayers, and he actually wrote them down and saw them answered. On top of that, he's... He had two wives that died on him, and he had two kids that were lost, uh, either miscarriages or early on. There were plenty of reasons for him to be anxious, depressed, discouraged, and sad. And if you're there today, that's okay. But there's plenty of reasons for him to, to be there. But instead of his life being marked with bitterness or difficulties, his life was marked by one as one who, in the midst of difficulties, had a supernatural joy. His life was marked as one who trusted God. His life was marked as one who God moved through. Because he didn't give up when it got hard, he found God in the midst of it. And therefore, God was free to flow through him powerfully. He touched tens of thousands of lives and touched, really, church history. And he said the key is this. He said, the first and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Another way he said it another time was this. But according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all, above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. It wasn't that his circumstances were easy. It's that he tended to his heart, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and he found joy in God, and he tended to his heart first and foremost and found joy in God, and then he approached the impossible with that. I want to invite us to stand as we end. I believe God is inviting us 
to the same. Your legacy may not be the same as George Mueller. You may not be called to oversee tens of thousands of orphans, but I do believe that God is inviting us to a journey of more. That though our lives outwardly at times may look like prisons, inwardly we are having a feast with God. I want to invite us to that today.